0: Oh, listeners, we have back one of our, our favorite frequent guests, uh, Robert Schuler from Melissa's Produce. Uh, Robert, um, you just got back from the Fancy Food Show. Did you have a good time there?
1: Yes. Thank you, Ann and Peter, for having me on there. Uh, the Las Vegas Fancy Food Show, this was the first year Melissa's Produce uh, has been a part of it. We, oh, I didn't we, we know that. Yeah, well, we've been doing um, the New York Fancy Foods Show every summer for the last 20 years, but That's we right. never have done the, when, I got, when the, the Winter Fancy Food Show transferred from San Francisco to Las Vegas, this is the first year we've been actually exhibiting oh. and participating at the show. So. Do you
0: remember that they used to have another show, <laughs> a third one, in um, Chicago in the year?
1: Yes, yes, I remember remember that that? way back when, but times have changed, and now there's only two fancy food shows. The Las Vegas one, surprisingly, is a bit smaller than the New York one, but you have a lot of West Coast companies that are involved in exhibiting at that company, at that uh, particular show. Yeah, and that's
0: that's what we figured out, too, is the the biggest, the bigger one is New York, Uh, and it gets so – huge. I mean, it's so huge now. You can't walk it in three days. You just can't do it.
2: And, and Robert, that, that's where that's where we met you to begin with. For, for, first time that's before correct. we ever did an interview with you. We, we, we yes. met you at what was a rather large exhibit, as I recall.
1: Correct. I think it's uh, we've been talking about Melissa's produce on your guys' show for at least 10, 15 years, so. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I still remember what my first discovery with Melissa's was in, in a supermarket in Kansas City, believe it or not, Kansas City, Missouri. no, it mm-hmm. was Leawood, so it was Kansas City, Kansas. And, and you had Jerusalem artichokes packaged, and nobody else had them at the time. And I was so blown away with it. That's when I became a fan of Melissa's produce.
1: Yes, yes. We're, we're a company that's known for exotic, ethnic, harder to find produce items. But the Jerusalem artichokes, sunflower chokes, I think are now far, are easier to find at your local store as time progresses and people have learned about oh, yeah. how to cook with them. I think, um, you know, that's. Part of right. what I do with Melissa is educating people about the exciting world of produce. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, we're kind of looking back and talking about uh, the history of it. Um, how long has Melissa has been in business?
1: Uh, as of this year, we've been in business for uh, just over 40 years. Uh, we grief. started in 1984, and we haven't looked back. Uh, Melissa's produce has become the largest variety supplier of specialty produce in the United States with a a staggering 1,500 items in our produce line, both offered conventionally and organically. And we distribute into all 50 states here in the United States. And what,
0: what do you think is the most striking difference in business today as it was back then in the day?
1: Well, back then, I I know that um, you know I've been in with Melissa's for 27 of the last 40 years, and seeing our company progress in regards to seeing that our products that are harder to find ethnic. You know, we've been coming become a um, melting pot in the United States. Um, you know, people are just so mobile now, and so the spread of culture of food throughout every major metropolitan area and city has become, you know, a global marketplace. Um, you know, uh, people are so um, into traveling and moving. Uh, from place to place because of today's technology and the spread of information uh, and culture specifically with food. So, which was once a specialty, even in the time that I've been here, have, you know, a lot of our produce items have become way more mainstreamed and easier to find because of the information that's out there and the changing demographic profile of people in all over the United States now. So we have a very finicky crowd out there um, that demands when they go to the store to find these uh, what were once considered hard to find.
2: Now, re- Robert, rem- re- remind us where the name Militia Melissa came, Militia came from that was and, the daughter. <laughs> and, and why the founders decided to, to get into this business in the way that they have.
1: Yes, so 40 years ago, Joe and Sharon Hernandez, husband and wife, both still, both owners and CEO owner, um, and um, basic all-around uh, managers of, a, of the business, uh, the company 40 years ago was called World Variety Produce, and that was what you would find on our labels as, the, as our company title there. But literally nine months after the company was founded by Joe and Sharon Hernandez, they had their only baby daughter, (laughs) and her name was Melissa. Right. And so a few years later, we became known, uh, and all of our packaging came under the brand name Melissa's. Yeah. That's
0: great. Well, I like your logo. It's so, it just sticks in your head. You know, it's one of those things you look at and, and you never unsee it with your carrot for the
1: eye. <laughs> yeah, every I time you it, go yeah. in the produce department, every time you go into the produce department, look for the eye in the word Melissa's. The eye is actually in the shape of a carrot, meaning mm-hmm. that we're a produce company, and, and believe it or not, we do more than just carrots. About fifteen hundred other <laughs> items on top of that. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I noticed, uh, and, and you, you always send us trends. I don't know how you track trends in the company, but obviously you do. And so you do a, um, a an update presentation every year on 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 the, what's new and trendy, and um, and we've been doing this online on our show for quite a long time now, and um, how do you track what's, I mean, do you just keep statistics and data, is it a database that you know what's, what's trendy, what's trending?
1: Co- correct. Um, it's not a, I don't look into a crystal ball and think and hope that something's going to happen. I, uh, I have a very comprehensive statistical analysis based upon our proprietary uh, software, based upon uh, our product sales and distribution in supermarkets across the country. Basically, I take the sales from um, our past year, 2023, and compare it to our sales and distribution in 2022. From that, I look upon what are the products that have – Seeing double-digit growth from 2022 to 2023, and that gives us a great indicator of what consumers are going to buy in 2024 as we make it through this year. And so my trend analysis is based on factual information, based on um, actual sales of products in all the major supermarkets across the country. And, all you know, it creates a percentage of increase from one year to the next, and that's how I come up with the food trends in produce for 2024. Are you ready to talk about that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I've mentioned to you that one of the things I noticed um, in, in your offerings from Melissa's is uh, there, there seems to be a high-priority of convenience built into the products you're offering. And I'm thinking in particular of of the esteemed lentils and the beets and and uh, the, uh, the some of the pastas. Um, am I off base on that, or is that uh, something you
1: find useful? Most definitely, Ann and Peter. Uh, convenience and value added has always been a uh, trend for cheese. Um, we've had this trend going on for the last uh, 10 years or so. Uh, a while back, we started doing uh, a line of steamed vegetables and beans that are literally like in a cryovac package that you can actually just open up the package and enjoy. So basically, the, the, um, the item is already cooked and ready to go. And we decided to do it on items that seem to be very timely uh, for most Americans in their kitchen. So, yes, one of the items um, that I think you enjoy is the steamed lentils. So the lentils are already rehydrated, steamed, and in the package. And so the steamed lentils, we have it both conventionally and available organically um, it's, by steaming them and packaging them. Um, in a, the refrigerated case in the, in the produce department, you're, a, you're able to save the consumer um, easily 30, 40 minutes or, you know, depending on if you like to boil um, uh, dried steam lentils or um, if you soak them overnight. We just save that time because our package has no preservative and it's just the steam lentils that are cooked and ready to go. We do the same with beets as well, yes. and we've had this product for quite some time. It started all with the beets and then the lentils, and then we've continued the line with some other items like steamed black eye peas, which are really popular in the month of December, steamed chestnuts, which are really popular um, during the Thanksgiving time. We do a whole other line, but the steamed beets has always been our most popular item. They're steamed baby beets. Um, we just save the consumer from, you know, if you've ever cooked with beets raw, it's a timely process. It can also yeah. be a very messy staining process on your <laughs> apron um, or chef coat. So we and you could also,
0: the- as we mm-hmm. frequently do, burn them. <laughs>
1: Well, that's not good,
0: but... <laughs> I mean, you, know, you have to remember to watch the water levels if you're doing them on your stove, on your stove from scratch. Uh, could you explain why potatoes are at the top of everybody's list now?
1: Now, the potatoes have always been our main uh, category of product at Melissa's Produce. When you go into your local produce department, if you're going to see any Melissa's Produce, It's definitely going to be our potatoes, and on the top of that end, and our number one item is our Dutch yellow potatoes. Yeah, they're potatoes that are baby size. They because of they're not large russets. They cook in a shorter amount of time. You don't have to peel them. They look buttery inside out, and they actually taste buttery. But they're Mm -hmm. naturally um, they naturally have that taste, and they have soon become the most popular baby potatoes we offer those baby dutch uh gold uh yellow potatoes not only in yellow color but we also have them in red and they've been trending as well and also blue so it's kind of a bluish purple yeah, on the that. outside and inside those are the three dutch potatoes that we're most known for and have been trending in the marketplace for quite some time
2: no they actually made in and they're actually grown in in Holland? are they grown? Where, where do they grow in the United States?
1: Yes, yeah, even though they're called Dutch, the seedling is from Holland. However, okay. all our Dutch potatoes, whether yellow, red, or blue, all grown in Idaho, in the Magic Valley yeah. of Idaho, where the volcanic-rich soils and the temperate weather, uh, cool at night, warm during the day, and fed by the Snake River, one of the most well-known rivers there in um, Idaho. And, you know, Idaho is just one of those states that's really known for uh, their potatoes and their onions. Yeah. Right.
0: Now, um, something that I found unusual is suddenly everything's coming up, popcorn. Why is popcorn such a big item now?
1: Well, you know, that's something that our company does. It's novel to um, the produce department. Well, if you look at it realistically, what is popcorn? It's dried corn. We've always done corn. Um, And uh, so we thought that it'd be cool to have different varieties of popcorn seasonally throughout the year. So it really started when we started offering popcorn with our line of hatch items during uh, All right. the hatch pepper season, which is August, September. But from there, we decided to offer other different varieties of popcorn that are unique to Melissa's um, popular flavor profiles. So most recently, we decided to do a kettle corn with habaneros, where Melissa's is wow, really yeah. known for their habaneros. We did one also with jalapeno lime. And we also did another one, uh, and these popcorns are available year-round. We also did one with one of the hotter varieties, um, which is known as the, the Butchelakia, which is, um, you know, um, about the third hottest. The Butchelakia is the third hottest really? to the scorpion and the reaper varieties. So um, the we're excited reaper, about these. Yeah, and we also do, just like we do the Hatch Chili, which is a seasonal popcorn blend, we do seasonal ones throughout the year as well, beyond just those three that I just talked about. So, for example, with Valentine's Day coming up, we actually do a pink kettle corn that you'll find in the produce department. Yeah, and now with Super Bowl uh, this month, um, and we just determined what, who the teams are. We do a, um, a football-thing, Super Bowl-type popcorn as well um, because these are popular times that people love to do popcorn. And, yeah. uh, hey, why not find it in your local produce department near all the other great stuff you can find from Melissa? Yeah.
0: No, I was surprised to find the, the pasta and rice with hearts of palm. So when did that happen? When did that get trendy?
1: Yes. So, you know, the movement on many food items, not just the produce department, is this plant-forward movement where products are made out of plants that are typically, might have been made out of wheat or gluten. And you're referring to our hearts palm pasta. So it's pasta formed out of, actual hearts of palm um, which is a popular trendy crudité, um, white center heart um, that has a, a resemblance to like an artichoke uh, but a little bit firmer in um, in texture but we took it one step further not only in our new products like the popcorn do we o- offer hearts of palm pasta we also now have hearts of palm rice. So we have two plant-based pasta and rice products made with hearts of palm. Look, at, look for it now in your local produce department by many of our other um, plant-based items that are like tofu and other pasta items um, in your refrigerated produce section. They're actually in a box. Inside the box is a hydrated, ready-to-go product. Literally, you can eat out of the package. You can have the heart, the palm, rice, and pasta. I like to warm it up like I usually do for pasta and rice, but you don't have to add any more long cooking time because you're not making noodles that are out of wheat or gluten. Um, It's a product that is literally ready to go out of the package. The, you
0: see, I I couldn't the open them. You, you mean I could yeah. open those packages and just eat them right out of there?
1: Correct, correct. So you just add a little oh, bit wow. of like to the pasta, a little bit of the pasta sauce uh, with the rice. You can add a little bit of like chopped up seasoned chicken, and it and now a substitute for those who 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 can't have because of their gluten or wheat allergen to enjoy the pasta, or for those who um who um, can't eat a lot of rice or are not supposed to have rice in their diet because of other allergens. And so now you can enjoy them in the form of pasta and rice, but they're all hearts of palm based.
0: Do you sell just plain hearts of palm?
1: Correct. We've palm? always carried hearts of palm um, as a popular uh, veggie, veggie tray, crudite type item. That you find I
0: grew up, and I thought it always came in the can until I tasted the
1: fresh and so different, <laughs> yeah but, we you actually, know. We actually offered yeah, we actually offer two varieties of the hearts of palm ours the most popular ones are in the jar that are ready to go, you know kind of like olives, but yeah. we also do offer fresh hearts of palm, however um it. Uh, it, it is very sensitive, and the product goes bad fast. So usually, oh, fresh really? hearts of palm is hard to find. We do distribute a lot into food service, the restaurant food service business, but fresh hearts of palm is actually very difficult to find at a local store. Most often than not, <coughs> yes, you're going to find them in the jar <coughs> or excuse me, in the can section there. But I definitely recommend um, the fresh or the jarred. Because there's not heavy preservative as you would find in a can.
0: Right. Well, that's what I always hated about it until I got the fresh stuff. You know, because you, you could taste that it. it was preserved and overpreserved.
2: Mm-hmm. But, 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 Robert, you, you have to talk about the pineapples. Oh, oh uh, I have yes. to tell
0: you, by the way, is, uh, we have that, a nephew. Is, is it, you just have to talk about the pineapples. Yeah, we have a nephew in food service in the UK, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, we do this family you know, thing every on um, Skype every week, and and he he he's pretty astute and up to date on everything. But his ears perked up when I talked about the pink pineapple. <laughs> he was really excited about that. Tell us about. Uh, two now, we have this Ghana Elefante pineapple, and then we have from Costa Rica the pink pineapples, which are knock your socks off. Talk to us about that, and talk to us about the growing of it and why you're not going to get the tops of the pink pineapple.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, and those have, um, uh, first, let's talk about the pink pineapple. That has been trending since our, the first introduction of it uh, back in 2019. The the only grower of these pink pineapples is Del Monte. Melissa's is one of the few distributors for the Del Monte Pink Glow pineapple. That's the actual name of it. Yes, it's a pink pineapple, pineapple. Right. It looks like a. It looks like a regular what looks like a regular pineapple on the outside. When you Except cut it has no
0: top pink. on it. No top. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> Go yes. Go ahead. Um, it's pink on the inside, but yes, you will notice that all the pink pineapples the green top is removed at the grower level before it's shipped into the United States. The reason for that is because that's how you get the next generation of pineapples. So because pink pineapples represent less than 1% of the pineapples that are available to us, especially back in 2019, it was just an idea um, to have these pink pineapples Pink flesh pineapples to the United States, and they became a huge hit and novelty right off the bat. I remember in the fall of 2019, they were they were the mo- the newest and the rarest fruit to the United States. These pink pineapples were fifty dollars each, and we couldn't carry enough of them.
0: Wow. After
1: a few months later. Right before COVID, COVID started in March 2020, and that kind of shut down a lot of things across the country, and made it difficult for you know people to access uh, a lot of their goods, um, you know because of uh, what was happening at that time. But the pink pineapple reign still true to this day as the most popular online um, um, fruit uh, that we have distributed. By then, by COVID time, which was March 2020, um, pink pineapples were thirty dollars each. And uh, <laughs> but they've been growing at such a tremendous rate. They still come in the, the pink pineapples come in a box. Talks about them and why the top is off because they plant to grow new ones. They still do not come with tops. And uh, right now, you can now find them in your local stores for about twenty dollars. So. Over time, as they continue to increase the crop and grow these pink pineapples, which represent less than 2% of the pineapples that are available to us, so they still are a rare experience, but there are stores now in the United States that actually carry the pink pineapple. What makes the well, pink could, pineapple could you, so special? Uh,
0: my question huh? is, why does anybody think we needed a pink pineapple?
1: America has been very big on plate presentation, especially at the restaurant level. And there was just this onslaught of some uh, um, varieties, heirloom varieties, and colorful varieties being made available in the marketplace. So, really, it was more of a marketing concept and idea that people would possibly go gaga over the fact that these were pink. Pineapples and very—I oh. mean, pineapples is something that people are aware of, but the idea of them being pink is a whole other concept. And, well, uh, I mean, I
0: tell you, our nephew really perked up because he—I mean, he's in what what company is he with? It? They do all the catering stuff out of it, and I can't remember. You know, like they would do the stadium and stuff like that. I can't remember
1: the name of the company. Oh, yeah. like s-
0: something Aramark, like that. Aramark
1: Legend. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. these. Yeah. Um, all these. So he, uh, he really
0: uh, perked up at the idea of a pink pineapple. He right.
1: Really got,
0: and, yeah. No, we didn't
2: didn't in, in the shipment that we got from Robert, didn't didn't we have some that were sort of green? No, yeah. No. Pink?
0: That's. A, I was going to move on to that after we did oh, the pink okay, pineapple. Right. That's sure. the Elefante. Pineapple. I wanted Robert, uh, I wanted to, Robert. To, first of all, tell us something about the difference in flavor, because these pineapples, yeah. um, they're they're um, f- fussing around with the appearance and so forth, which is important, but there are also flavor differences. Uh, the pink pineapple yeah. I find is much more soothing and satisfying than the, the uh, yellow traditional one.
1: Yeah, and that's, even though uh, the pink pineapple and the golden pineapple grow in Costa Rica, they're about the same size, there is a taste-flavor difference. One, the biggest major thing is that the pink pineapple, it has a better sweetness to it, but this is the big thing. It doesn't have the acidity like a yes. regular gold pineapple, and uh, the acidity... It turns off a lot of people um, because it may burn their gums. It's just too like what would you? The acidity uh, produces kind of a sour flavor to it. So for those who've always had a problem and didn't like pineapple because of their acidity, you're gonna love the pink pineapple because there is no acidity or very 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 low amount of acidity versus a traditional pineapple.
0: Yeah, well, I and said to Peter, you know, it so it, the, the, the this pink one, and also you were going to tell us about the elephante, the green one from Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're both much more refreshing than the traditional um, pineapples.
1: Correct. So let me talk to you about the other interesting pineapple I had recently sent This is a new product. um, As of just recent, Um, we introduced it a few months ago in 2023. Now, this pineapple is a little weirdly shaped. It's longer. Yeah, what is that? It's long. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's longer. It's darkish, greenish, brown on the outside. Looks a little yeah. It's harder to tell when it's ripe too. It's got a little top, and um, well, fruit communicates by aroma, and that's how yes. these, what we call Elefante green gold pineapples, they are a pineapple that have more of a white interior. This variety is grown in Ghana, Africa, and it is a white flesh variety. Um, it actually comes out of the variety of sugarloaf, and sugarloaf pineapples, They've been out there, but a lot of times you've just experienced it by travel, by not necessarily finding them. They, they, they're only probably grown also in, like, Hawaii. But uh, the white, the white sugarloaf pineapples aren't brought in from Hawaii into the United States. So that's why we have the Ghana ones from South Africa. They're, they come in a box so they can sit upright because they're so narrowly, weirdly shaped. Yes. And
0: I was going to ask if they open. had to design a special box to hold them, right?
1: For yeah, exactly, because they're so weird shaped. But you can make it out it's a pineapple. just doesn't look like a regular pineapple with darker skin. But when you cut those things open, just like the pink pineapple, instead they're whitish on the interior, but they're very similar to the pink pineapple in that they have, again, heavy sweetness, and low acidity, so for those who are not uh, 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 that the gold is a, is a favorite to them, they would love the white, uh, elephante, green gold pineapples. So that's a mouthful. The long, the title, but yes. I'm I'm the
2: I'm the lucky one because because I have someone who peels them for me. <laughs> yeah I, yeah I cut
0: them up and do all that yeah
2: I, um, I don't good.
0: have to do I don't have to do any of that scut work and <laughs> um, you know the, the, I was interested in this um, Cherimoya. moya um, the, the and, <coughs> I, I've read some stuff about golden berries too I, I wonder why they have like the seeds for Cherimoya are supposed to be toxic and at a certain stage of, of ripening, the golden berries are also toxic in themselves. Why? I mean, it seems odd. Why should they be?
1: Okay. So let's talk about two other trends here in the exotic fruit category. Let's talk about cherimoyas. The cherimoyas, if only America knew more about that fruit, they are just a spectacular fruit. But a lot of people are not familiar with cherimoyas. They look, they look like a big. It looks like a big green grenade, um, and uh, the fruit is unusually shaped. It's kind of roundish. Uh, it's green in color, and on the interior, after it becomes ripe, it starts the the skin actually kind of turns brownish and softens up. But like many fruits, it tells you when it's ripe because of the aroma. Now when you cut it open, it is white. White, yeah. white colored on the inside and it has these large black seeds. You gotta remove the seeds because one, they're large and they're hard. Uh, but yes, like most seeds of, of fruits that produce large seeds, they are mildly toxic in that if you consume them, you can get a stomach ache or get sick. Uh, that is because you're not supposed to eat the seeds of the fruits that produce large um, seeds. Seeds. For example, most people know that you cannot eat um, plum seeds or peach seeds or uh, apricot seeds. The same reason why you don't eat those is the same reason why you don't eat cherimoya seeds. They're large black seeds and they'll, at the minimal, give you a tummy ache. They're hard as a rock. If you try to chew in, in them, you, you possibly might break your tooth because they're so hard, but they're very, very bitter, just as another seed like an apricot seed. That's why you don't eat apricot pits or seeds. Um, yeah,
0: now there, so was that, phase, there was a phase that was a phase, kind of a hippie phase, where they claimed that the inside of the... Um, The apricot seed, the soft part of the seed inside the hard shell, uh, was a a cure for cancer. Do you remember that? And then it turned out that the fact that (laughs) was toxic.
1: Well, I I don't remember that, but I believe they were horrible, bitter, terrible. Uh Yeah. That wow, yeah. I would I would say um, that you can eat you can get. A stomachache from eating the inside of those pits there, but yes, you're correct. That's the inside of the uh, of the it's the seed cavity. The cavity on the outside is a hard seed that protects it, and uh, those seeds will split open when they're ready to root. So, uh, oh really? Okay. Morning, it's not going to cure cancer, but it's actually <laughs> probably going to make you a little sick. So. Stop eating those huge, large seeds that are in fruit. I mean, if there are seeds like banana seeds or kiwi seeds, which are small berries, those seeds are edible, but on the larger fruits with the larger seeds, not a good idea to eat.
0: You know, somebody was talking about, uh, somebody from Puerto Rico was talking about and I can't remember what the fruit was that she made some kind of a fancy cocktail from, and I looked at a picture of this fruit. I can't remember what it was called, um, but it was tropical. Um, but it looked very much like a cherimoya, and then I looked it up, and there, it's a cousin to the cherimoya. I can't
1: remember what uh, it's called yeah. though. But it, uh, just, it, it probably was the. It was probably the ganavina. Yes, is, that's uh, it. That's it. And uh, that is a very uh popular fruit, especially in the Caribbean and the uh the uh Saint Thomas, Saint Croix, all the virgin. Yeah, okay, there. this is Puerto Rico, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Puerto it, Rico it,
0: it, as well. Does it taste mm-hmm. like a cherimoya?
1: It has very similar flavors. It's green on the outside, white on the inside, it has black seeds. You only eat the white flesh. It has a tutti fruity flavor. That's how I like to describe them. And they're in the basic same family of fruits. Um oh, but okay. they just are shaped differently.
2: Let me ask you a totally off the wall question. What whatever happened to gooseberries?
1: <laughs> well, the gooseberries there's okay, so there's two different varieties that people get mixed up with. The gooseberries are very small. They're translucent green. They're very similar if you're familiar with the currants. So that's the typical gooseberry. Now you remember Peter's
0: English now. I mean, when he's talking gooseberries, he's talking about
1: what they used in pies in England. Correct. That is the small gooseberry, just like the currants. But okay. then people get familiar. Then they get they get um, confused with what is referred to as the Cape Gooseberry on what we now refer to as the Goldenberry. It is a husk. oh,
0: so that's what the other berry. one we
1: had, Goldenberry. Yes, the ones that and are they're related inside the husk. They are related to the tomato family, most closely related to the family. Which is the green tea Yeah, it comes in with a husk.
0: Birding. It has that kind yeah. of husk, and and that's another question because I, what I read said that if you if you eat them when they're not ripe, they're toxic.
1: Correct. So the cape gooseberries, which we refer to as the golden berries, come in a husk. They're in the tomato family, the Tomatillo family which is in the nightshade family. So anything you eat in the nightshade, nightshade family, the nightshade family is a family of, of fruits like tomatoes. Like eggplant. <laughs> eggplant. It's the fruits that have a little calyx on top. Um, if you eat those fruits unripened, you will get a tummy ache at the, at the minimal. If you eat a lot, it can be toxic to you. Okay. So you. So getting to your question, golden berries, if you eat them when they're green, they shouldn't be green when you get them in the store. If they're green on the vine inside the husk, they are not ready to p- be picked or consumed. You wait for them to turn ye- goldish yellow on the uh, berry before you pick them. Actually, you've been
0: eating those, rabbits. You've been been eating
1: golden berries. Yeah,
0: they're they're very good.
2: I I, I wanted to interject something else, if if I could, love. Didn't didn't your mother plant gooseberries at one point? She
0: planted them, and she put um, a netting all over them. The the, birds birds got them them anyway. The birds birds
2: got them anyway.
0: They knew exactly when they were ripe. You know they they did that with our cherry tree in D.C. too, um, but we couldn't keep them away from the birds. The gooseberries, but they look to me to be bigger than the ones that um, that we're
1: talking about. That Robert's talking yes. about the little. Yes, because the traditional gooseberry is uh, much smaller. It's probably about the size of the na- the nail on your pinky finger. The goose, the regular traditional gooseberry is small, green, and highly seasonal throughout, um, um, highly seasonal in the United States. Gooseberries are not particularly popular here in the United States. They're really a hard-to-find item, and the only time they're domestically available is typically in, like, um, July, however... We do get a small season from Chile during these winter months, like January and February, but I have not seen them become available as of yet. Huh. So, because that's <laughs> below the equator's opposite season to our July, which is a warmer right, season. Right. Right. Um, and they're, they're typically grown in, in, in areas of, of some elevation. As well, But they're very, they're very uh, difficult to grow commercially because of, uh, they're very sensitive fruits. So once you pick them, you've got to get them in the store, too. You're right. Birds and, uh, love them. So they're a difficult <laughs> fruit to manage. And so that's why they're not particularly that popular here in the United States. But in other countries, in Europe and in England and uh, in the Netherlands, they're particularly very popular and commercially grown.
0: Now, uh, I have a number of questions about tamarinds, and I wanted to bring it up because it was predicted by some big produce operation to be the flavor of the year in 2024. Um, and, and I'm not sure why. First, I mean, I told you our cousin Richard. Uh, uh, grew tamarinds in um, uh, Tasmania and and they used to make a lot of curries and things, they lived all over the world and they always put them in there but on their own, I mean, I don't know what the attraction is I do find that um, children in countries where they grow them use the big seeds uh, for like uh, play pieces on board games um, but I, I don't get what the attraction is for the tamarind flavor.
1: Okay. Well, um, tamarind has, yes, you're correct. Tamarind is predicted to be the, one of the fruit flavors of 2024. The tamarind hey. is actu- it's actually a dried fruit because when tamarind are picked, they're greenish yellow, but tamarind, Uh, one, did not grow commercially in the United States. They're brought in, think of them as kind of like dates. Um, But another name for tamarind or tamarindo is uh, Indian dates. So the flavor is very Indian and very um, Mexican and South American, where they're very popular and used in candies. Um, Oh, my. Tamarind Tamarind comes in. Uh, two forms in the United States. The tamarind comes in its pods, where you have to crack them open, remove the seeds and the veins. It's a sticky pulp, kind of yes, like know, mess. Kind of a like a date. They're they're sticky, but there's it's a lot more mess to them because you have to crack them open like peanuts. And then typically, how you remove the paste from the seeds and the veins, uh, because it's very difficult to do by hand because they're so sticky, is that they're usually boiled. And then made into a paste. Another way to get tamarind is, in fact, uh, the paste itself that you would find like in blocks.
0: I went to the trouble of doing that once in my lifetime. After all that work, I put it in the 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 tamarind, the stuff in the in a jar in the freezer. Forgot about it and never used it. So never done it again.
1: Yeah. Well. Uh It's definitely um one, acquired taste. Two, it's very ethnic, you know. It's a common Oh yeah, they
0: people talk with e- in ecstatic India. terms about childhood memories having to do with tamarinds I know.
1: Yeah, and so, tamarind uh, is such a popular candy flavor because it's so sweet, you know, like a date, because it is a dried fruit. And uh so even though my
0: very sour
1: <laughs> Yeah. It's sourly sweet, and kids love the flavor of that in candies now, um, and so that's wow. kind of part of it. So, you know, let's see what happens there. We've seen a trend uh, for the last few years, not significantly, but um, you know what I'm thinking here is it really reminds me of the root turmeric, which was um, uh, which is a a root vegetable from that that was mainly a staple ingredient in India, and all of a sudden, about six years ago, tamarind is like the in thing um, uh, root turmeric. vegetable flavor that is used in everything now. It's yeah. turmeric is um, supposed not... to be the, the, the a spice that cures everything
0: that ails you. Actually,
1: <laughs> I mean, Pr- I, I went
0: through a phase of putting it in my green tea with. Uh, I would put it with something. But I don't remember what it is. I had to put it with. There was some yeah. other ingredient there. I, I even, I even put
2: it. In, I even put it in chicken soup because we we found fa- we found out that that a chef you, you knew was. Uh, w- Thank you. Was his was was a book that he wrote, and in in his book was a recipe for Yemeni
0: turmeric Oh right, that's right. Yes. And
2: I. And yeah, I I absconded with the recipe and used it as a secret <laughs> ingredient in my all, all you can eat chicken soup. <laughs>
0: well, listen, you know, we we could, as always, go on forever. I, I would never have a conversation, Robert Schiller, where I don't learn something from you. And um, I, I'm always counting on Melissa's produce to keep me up to speed on what's hot, what's trendy. Uh, what's available, Um, I guess one conclusion I must say is um, I think that um, certain tropical fruits you you should experience in the place of origin, and I think that's true of mangoes too, Um, but not Mm -hmm. everybody has a chance to go and and have a ripe mango, you know, in wherever, Um, I think South America, Central America. I guess I was getting.
2: But guess who has some just now, right in in a, in a bowl in the refrigerator? Ha-ha. Yeah, I know.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Rich, <laughs> I, I, Robert, I think that, that again you have enlightened us, and and it, it's I really like hanging around with you because I always learn so much. <laughs> So, I can't thank you enough for keeping us up to date on all this
1: stuff. Well, I thank you for having me on there, and I'm always excited to talk about the exciting world of produce here in America. You certainly are. Trends and new products that you can find in your local produce department. So, look for Melissa's uh, the next time you shop. Right.
0: Again, thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you. Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www.aspstation.net